a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's the bat pulse. May the force be with you. Who is that masked man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. Some genre-related news before we get to today's discussion. Universal Studios' The Invisible Man was the number one movie at last weekend's domestic box office. The reboot led the field with a gross of over $29 million. Universal's previous attempt at a shared universe flopped with the 2017 reboot of The Mummy starring Tom Cruise. However, this latest movie seems to have struck the right tone with audiences and critics. Star Elizabeth Moss is contending with an abusive relationship. The Invisible Man isn't likely to repeat this weekend with stiff competition from Pixar's Onward, which, based on Thursday night preview numbers, is projected to earn upwards of $35 million over the weekend. Batman director Matt Reeves this week released images of the new Batmobile via his Twitter page. You can check out the Cape Crusaders' new ride on the Fantastic Forum Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Fantastic Forum. And while you're there, if you haven't already, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We love to be liked and we like to be followed. Later this evening at Phantom Comics in Washington, D.C., comic superstar writer Tom King will be meeting fans and signing. You can find out more about the event by visiting the Phantom Comics website at phantomcomics.com. Oh, and by the way, they spell Phantom F-A-N-T-O-M, just so you know. And if you miss Tom at Phantom today, you can still meet him tomorrow morning at Third Eye Comics in Annapolis, Maryland. More on that via the Third Eye website at thirdeyecomics.com. And if you attend either... Be sure to tell them you heard about it here on Fantastic Forum. It was announced earlier this week that the premiere of the latest movie in the James Bond 007 series, No Time to Die, has been pushed back due to concerns about the coronavirus. The new U.S. release date is November 25th of this year. Marketing for the film had already been impacted by the virus as the Chinese press tour and release were canceled. Coronavirus continues to be a serious concern worldwide. DC Comics has recently canceled various convention appearances and production for the upcoming Mission Impossible 7 in Italy has been temporarily suspended. And Hollywood studios are beginning to form strategy teams to deal with the situation. More on this story as it continues to develop. So on today's show, um, we're, uh, okay, you got to go with me here because what we're talking about is this seeming predilection towards, I'm going to describe it as negativity. That might not be what other people might look at it as, uh, but uh, 
That's the way I'm framing it before we start the conversation. So joining me in studio, uh, I have Drew Bittner, who is always welcome to the show. Hadn't been on in a while. Hey, Drew. Hey there. Yeah. And the redoubtable Roberto Ortiz. Hi. We never know what he's likely to say. <laughs> Good heavens. And... Hi, honey. Uh, of course. Hi, yeah. Watch out, Jody. And courtesy of the Great Geek Refuge, all the way from Fredericksburg, Virginia, is the one, the only, Mike Lunsford. Mike, thanks for joining us. I thought Roberto was calling me honey at first. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> but you do you do have to watch this cat. <laughs> Something I've noticed here, yeah. So, um, when I was saying that uh, predilection towards negativity, all right, and and this is where all of this sprang from, fellas. So, uh, again, follow along with me here. I was talking to Mike earlier in the week. We were talking about uh, Star Trek Picard. Yeah. It is Star Trek Picard, right? It isn't just yeah. Picard. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, that's what yeah, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Picard. Yeah. So, I've only seen the first one, courtesy of Roberto. Yeah. Thank you. And, and let me tell you something. I've been threatening to come over to your house and like, <laughs> see if you might let me watch it yeah. some more since I don't have uh, CBS All Access myself. But, yeah, so um, one of the things that I was struck by, because uh, the, the reception to this show has been... Uh, I don't want to describe it as being mixed, because... It isn't so much that it's really mixed as I think it's just that maybe there is a different sensibility yeah. that modern audiences have when it comes to a project like this. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay. So, the original Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry's original vision of this thing was that mankind had outgrown its infancy. We had overcome things like racism and poverty, and we were pushing out into the stars. And it was, if not an ideal version of mankind, it was certainly an idealized uh, man and woman who explored space Even as part the of word Starfleet. Mankind is so. Hello, the word mankind. <laughs> humankind, okay, humankind. But humanity. But, yeah. No, but, no, but, but, but even Star Trek addressed that. Remember the movie? They, they, they got over it. They got over it. Yeah. Well, they were like, "Where no man, where no one, yeah. has gone before." Yeah. All right. But so here's the thing. So uh, pretty much every version of Star Trek that we've seen so far has been pretty optimistic, pretty hopeful in terms of the way it characterizes the future. And, uh, you know, particularly Star Trek The Next Generation. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time Patrick Stewart said something like, we've evolved beyond it, you know, I mean, but yet in Star Trek Picard, and, and of course, no pun intended, Deep Space Nine was sort of the darkest version of uh, Star Trek that we've seen so far, uh, particularly in terms of some of the events. I mean, you get full-blown war uh, uh, breaking out uh, between the Federation and uh, inhabitants of the Gamma Quadrant. The but, Dominion. Yes. A Vulcan serial killer, don't forget that one. 
Oh, yeah. I, yes, yes. <laughs> Not logical. No, you know, that was a very forgettable episode. But my point is, Star Trek Picard is a very dark version of Star Trek. I mean, so much so that I can barely, I mean, and again, I haven't seen most of it, but I can barely recognize it. And people talking about this thing. And so I, I'm wondering, you know, because certainly the idea, and we're not exactly there, but the idea of a dystopian future, it's not that has been real popular since, well, really since the 70s. I mean, you had a lot of these movies that seem to focus on that. And so what I'm really wondering, and this is, I know I've been around Robin Hood's barn a couple of times, but what I'm really wondering is uh, if there might be some sort of correlation between what's happening socially and culturally and the art. Does art imitate life? Does life imitate art? And, you know, we certainly saw some very tumultuous times in the 60s and leading into the 70s. And... That was when you had movies like Silent Running and Soylent Green and, you know, this kind of thing, you know, the, the Omega Man. And, you know, it seemed as if there was just this dark version of the future that people were willing to embrace as opposed to a more hopeful, optimistic version. And I thought about all this as Mike and I were talking about Star Trek Picard. And so I'd just like to ask you guys, what do you think about that? Now, I'm going to start with Mike, since he's had the longest time to think about this. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, he, he told me on Thursday. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, and I imagine, I mean, of course, you were busy with work at the time, and uh, but it seemed like everything worked out okay with that. And a guy like you certainly knows how to multitask, so I, I'm sure you were thinking try. about it. So, so what do you think? I think that it's science fiction at its best, is a uh, an altered mirror of what we are currently experiencing. Yes. When it's when it's at its best, mm -hmm. right? Star Trek in its in its in its nature is yes, it's a it's about a utopian society and the thing that the things that humanity has evolved beyond and, 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 and still things, is, by the way. Yeah. It's Star it, Trek it is. Is, because it's not dystopian at all. And the I disagree with, strongly. Well, well, you'll, you'll get your chance. <laughs> you'll get the Roberto. Yes. I, see, uh, I Mike, see what you're yeah. saying with it being dystopian. I get that. Because what it's doing right now is I think that the reason why it's it's popular. I mean, it's got a 90% right now on um, like Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. I mean, it's doing well um, as far as reviews from both um, just viewers and from your reviewers. But it's this is the world that we live in now. We're seeing people that were always hopeful, like... Jean-Luc Picard, like confident and arrogant to a point and in, in, in being so confident that Starfleet was always going to do the right thing. The mm -hmm. United Feder Federation of Planets was always going to do the right thing. And it broke him. Like, he was like, no, I'm done. I'm out because of the decisions that have been made. And that's all of us right now with what's happening in our world, with what's happening in the United States with our government. And, like, these things that we, we clung to that we cherish so dearly are just being trampled upon. And I, I'm hoping that this story is going to end happily eventually. I've been I've watched every episode. I've loved every single one of them. But you see where it's going, and you see there, there's there was a line in the in the most recent episode, and um, Jean Luc himself says it. He he's talking about I can't give away because there's spoilers and stuff. But I'll, I'll basically like he's with Riker and Troy, and he says. At one point, I basically checked out. I'm, I'm not involved in this fight anymore. I kind of wallowed in my own self-pity. And now I'm back in the game, and there ain't anybody in this galaxy that's going to be able to stop me. 
And like, that's, that's what this is about. It's bringing back that hope. Cause like it, what do they say? It's darkest, uh, darkest before dawn, that sort of thing. Like, that's what I see with this is you need all of that darkness to really like resonate and show you how good this is. Yes. There's the good, hmm. but there's also the bad to it as well. And when hmm. things basically get really dark is when you see the star shine. <laughs> no, I agree with Mike completely. I'm really dying. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Hey, that, that's why I did. Oh, hey, come on, run with it, dude. We're going to have to have you host the show at some point. <laughs> like you want to anyway. No, please. So I'm sorry. You were saying. Well, basically. Oh, actually, wait a minute. Oh, no, my, You're my, listening my. to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM. We are your community radio. I'm Ulysses Z. Campbell. I'm joined in studio today by Roberto Ortiz, who's trying to get a word in edgeways. We are going to let him in just a second. Drew Bittner <laughs> and the great geek refuges, Mike Lunsford. And we are talking about uh, Roberto, please. Star Trek always has had these problems. One of the cool things about Picard that they're doing, which is awesome, is that Star Trek in its DNA has a problem and specifically has to do with the concept that we, the Federation, tended to address species like monocultures. And they were so focused specifically about human rights that sometimes they forget specifically that species have spectrums. Um, Remember, for example, in the New Year series when uh, Kirk basically was talking to uh, one of his crewmen who had some very strongly racist feelings about the Klingons. Actually, I think you're thinking of Balance of Terror. Yeah. And, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, it was the Romulans, exactly. Yeah. And, and, that's and uh, Stiles had actually had some ancestors who had fought in that yes. first Romulan war who were all lost, by the way, in yeah. that war. Their war, Mr. Stiles, not yours. And the thing is that even Star Trek VI, when they were uh, on Discovered Country, when they have that wonderful dinner scene where the, the female Klingon counselor specifically calls the Federation on that, that they keep talking about human rights. Star Trek VI in Discovered Country, yeah. as it yes. were. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. It, mm -hmm. it, it, and it's basically also a conspiracy between the Klingons and the Federation to keep the war going. And the Romulans. And, yes, and the Romulans. There's yeah. this rot that has been happening in Star Trek from day one that we have to basically accept the fact that the Federation does have problems. And the thing is, that if you stop to think about it, instead of Picard from the show, the average Federation citizen is having an okay life. It's great. Mm -hmm. The problems that we're seeing here are specifically spiritually and political. And I love what Mike said specifically, that the core idea of the show is that the biggest sin Picard did was stepping out of the fight. Mm -hmm. All this pay all these uh, things that happen when a good man decides, because of his hubris, decides to step out. Because yeah. he couldn't accept that the great Luke Picard could fail getting the Federation to do what he wanted. No, I don't know that that was so much his hubris as disillusionment at what he apparently saw there's Starfleet becoming. Yeah, uh, but You can make that argument. Wait, wait, hold that thought. Uh, let's hear what yeah. Drew has to say. Okay. Um, I think I will recapitulate since I have not seen Picard, but I've heard a lot about it. <clears throat> I'll sum up. Well, it isn't specifically that. I mean, no, no, I'm talking about a general... And in, in fact, I'm going I'm to bridge to that. I'm bringing it back around. Just trust me. Um, I saw William Gibson at Politics and Prose a few weeks ago, and he made the point, as Mike did, that great science fiction is about right now. Mm -hmm. 
he was referring to, for instance, Neuromancer. He said Neuromancer was very much a story of the Reagan years. It was not the future. It was about right then. Star Trek, when it was created, was about the optimism of the space age. In 1964, 1965, we were very, very much a very hopeful, optimistic, forward-looking country. We had problems ahead of us, but we weren't dwelling on that yet. That was not really the pop culture of the time. So Roddenberry very wisely made the show about this is the future. This is we we have the rumblings of problems coming up, but the future is going to be okay. And it's very very much a hopeful, optimistic vision. We did have a dark turn in science fiction in the late sixties and into the seventies because we had had so many bad times for so long, and we looked like we were so hopelessly divided in some ways. And our our science fiction reflects that. In the 1980s, we were back in the Reagan years. Optimism was again in vogue, and Star Trek Next Generation was a very optimistic series in general. And yes, they do go into the idea that some higher-ups in Starfleet... A lot. Not, not the Federation. Not the Federation. Name any admirals. <laughs> no, no. Higher-ups in Starfleet. Starfleet yeah. specifically were the problem. And so, yes, there's rot in the system, but that's in the name of generating conflict and generating something for our heroes to react against. And you, frankly, reacting against authority is a pretty easy one to, to pick, for, pick on. So then DS9 and Voyager and Enterprise, and these all reflect the, the eras in which they're created. And now we get Picard, and we're back in an era where we have real problems, and these are real divisions in our country, and I think Picard reflects that. I think that the problem is that we're looking outward in Picard, and the problems in Picard are primarily outward. We don't see problems in the Federation space itself, but we do see what they did with regards to other people, and this crisis that Picard walked away from afterwards. So I think that these reflect the, the turbulence and uncertainty of the times we live in right now. It's not to say that in five or ten years a Star Trek show would be the same as that. And, and, there's, and there's a big difference between dark and dystopian, because dystopian, the Federation, if it was a dystopian show, we'd see the Federation is in a shambles. It's yeah. collapsed. It's, 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 it's dark. Everybody's living a horrible life. We don't really get that. We, we see Picard's living a good life. You know, he's, he's not living a fulfilling life. Can, can, I counter, can I counter that real quick? Sure. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's a point in the series where um, his first officer, not, not Riker, but his first officer on, when he became an admiral, he, he was like tasked with like trying to save the Romulans. Like This is all in episode one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the ship that he was commanding was called the USS Verity. And his, uh, his XO was a woman named Rafi Musker. And when all of that went down and he left Starfleet, like her career basically collapsed and at one point they're having a conversation and she's just like oh you're sad and you're broken oh i saw your interview where you were sitting there in your lavish home with your wood beams and your fancy old books and your vintage wines as i sit here in my mobile home like she really puts him to task about that because like yeah he retired into kind of the lap of luxury and like very privileged and i think that that this series is doing that it's showing yes this is a hero because jean-luc picard is a hero but with that hero comes another side 
tied to those virtues. The, the arrogance. The, yeah, like, yeah. He, that's the privilege. Because he literally got to retire to a nice vineyard in France. Like, and not everybody in Starfleet had that luxury. And that's, and honestly, it, like, for me, somebody in the military, that was a huge parable. I was like, okay, I see what they're going here. I now. think that's you great. I think that's a great people. thing to add in. Yeah. You know, so thanks, yeah. for, thanks for adding that, Mike. And actually, the cool thing is that it shows that Picard has that blind spot, specifically, that he, it makes clear that the thing he had in the next generation is that the other crew members were able to humanize him in a way. If you compare Picard to the beginning of the show, of mm -hmm. Next Generation, towards the end of the show, yeah. it's a character that has evolved. And these people basically providing him a way to be more human. And I like the fact a lot that it's the death of Data that basically was the, the key event that broke him. Mm, and yeah. somebody actually online told me the best line possible explaining that. It's like, this is the first time he sent people to die before in combat, right? Mm -hmm. But this, in this case, this is a person who was the closest friend he had on the ship. Besides why? Uh, yeah. yeah. Literally put a transporter chip on his shoulder, looked him in the eye and saved him. And he knew that he, this person was super unique, sacrificed himself for him. Mm -hmm. And that was one thing. There's two events that basically changed Picard's life. Him getting stabbed in the heart that basically changed his outlook in life. And now having this person who was so close to him. Die. Three. Yeah. Three, I, I, three events. I, I would argue. Yeah. 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 The by the board. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Of course. Well, yeah. In that case, it's got to be four because there was that whole living the life of the guy with the flute thing. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that absolutely changed him. Yeah. But 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 that's the thing. flute. Yeah. Does he play okay. that in, in Picard? Does, do we They're see not that? allowed to because of uh, royalties. <laughs> no, um, but they do have they do have the flute when he goes. There's like basically like a digital. Uh, memory box that he has, yeah. where he goes oh, and like all yeah. of his stuff mm. is there, and you see the flute in that, in that scene. But but okay. is it not amazing specifically that the show also makes the argument that yes, this is a very arrogant, id-like person, but look at what happens when he steps out. How yeah. things fall apart. How you need somebody like that on the side of the angels. That's actually the, the show itself says so, point blank. Yeah. This is a good man on the side of the angels trying to do good He's a force of nature. He sometimes basically loses sight of that. But if you take him out of the equation, the hole he leaves, it's, it's the size of a black hole. What's, what's interesting is, I mean, I'm thinking in, in hearing this, I'm thinking about the contrast with, say, the founding fathers. Yeah. The founding fathers of this country were all men of wealth and privilege. Yeah, Jefferson. Who, yes, who, had, yeah. who had a lot to lose if they bet the wrong way. Yeah. And it seems as though Picard, by contrast, steps out and things do fall apart without him but he doesn't have a lot to lose in all this he has he has spiritual things in his heart that he loses his he loses his sense yeah. of of nobility of that i could have done more and i left of but purpose he, he lost his yeah, sense of purpose he lost too. his purpose but he didn't lose his life his material you but know, the thing is comfort. that the show makes it quite clear yeah. that the persons who actually ended up paying the price were the persons who were in his orbit mm. it's like yeah. The sun went out, and yeah. all of a sudden, this planet is basically were left yeah. just lingering there. Just spinning out. Yeah, spinning out. And what happened? And I like the show makes the point that... It, I would say the show, in a way, is optimistic in this respect. It makes the point that a person can make a difference. A person can make change. 
the person who makes change cannot lose sight of that mm -hmm. because if they lose <coughs> faith themselves, the consequences are dire. But it, but the 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 thing that that strikes me about that, and this is again without any context of the show itself, is that it sounds as though the great man theory. You need the great man to make a difference, to make a change. It's not it's not an every man change. It's not it's mm. not that I can I a humble ensign on the Enterprise can make a change. It's you need John Luke Picard to yes, make that change. But the show also makes a point that the problem with that is the hubris that goes with it. And that it blinds you. It creates this humongous blind spots. Yeah. That can yeah. get you. And I just uh, I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, go, 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 Mike, yeah. <laughs> I just thought of something too that you mentioned. You, you said the de the death of Data really affected him, and I know why. I just really kind of put this together. Data was his child. Yes, yes, because yes, yes. Think yeah. about every single episode where Picard defended Data, defended that he was yeah. a human being, that he yeah. was a, a, yeah. a living being. But not only that, every conversation they had where it was something like, "Well, Captain, what does this mean?" And well, this is just part of being human. You can do everything perfect, Data, and you can still lose. That's life. Like. He taught all of those life lessons to Data, and in the end, Data gave the ultimate sacrifice. For him, like, he, he actually learned the yeah. lessons really well. He appreciated humanity so much that Data, knowing full well that he was going to end, decided to sacrifice himself for Picard. That's incredible. You're a little choked up, dude. No, yeah, it's just because it, it, <laughs> you're it, little, you're it, it's like it's like it's kind of cool that the character, in terms of the evolution of the character, uh, the whole show is about the fear of AI. Yeah, but Picard, he's blind. He's held and saying, "No, AI can be good," and it's because he knew Data, and Data yeah. basically is the antithesis. It's the general variation of positivity. Well, one thing, yeah, I'm, one thing well, I'm wondering is, well, where did the holograms go? Well, let, let me. Let me <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> they actually make a joke about this. They're like, scrubbing the inside <laughs> of. Uh, yeah, they're, they're they're like in a mining colony. Yeah, still. yeah <laughs> something like that. Yeah, photons, but, photons be free, isn't it? Yeah, like you yeah, know, there nine, you go. Nine hundred thousand printing. But, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things that I'd wanted to mention because uh, what you referenced about this fear of AI, and apparently a central event was these uh, artificial life forms. Uh, destroying apparently the Utopia Planitia shipyards. Yep. Yeah, you know, yeah. which were the Starfleet's amazing primary, uh, yeah. you know, uh, starship building uh, facility. It used now, to be. Yeah, well, yeah, well, there <laughs> you go. Yeah. So um, now the other thing, though, and this is just in terms of what has been said about data sacrifice. I mean, every Starfleet officer is, it can be called to make the ultimate sacrifice, and that's one of the things about Star Star Trek, period, you know, that um, there are things worth dying for, and that was one of the things from the original Star Trek, Yeah, that, I mean, this, this was in the DNA of each one of these characters. So I would argue it wasn't so much that Data learned, I mean, he learned a lot of lessons from Picard, I mean, because as he mentioned in the episode with uh, Spock, that Picard had been... Uh, one of his chief role models in his effort to be more human. So, uh, but I do absolutely agree with the analogy of uh, the the, the parent-child analogy that was that was applied. But the other thing, and and this this is the part of the thing that bothers me. Um, it's about this world because the 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 and this is part of what I'm wondering is what people see in terms of what they're writing because Star Trek was always 
the world of Star Trek was always very different from our own. I mean, they didn't have television. It didn't seem like there was a news media at all, you know. And then no religion. In, well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, for the most part, you know. But um, in other in the races, in the yeah, exactly. In other, yeah, yes. you know. Yes. Um, but then, and in fact, they reference this. If you ever have read the novelization of Star Trek. The motion picture because they talk about something called the new human movement and how apparently some human beings don't even have surnames you know and this whole lack of religion and you know this 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 idea this this seems to be part of this new human thing but there's only but, one kirk <laughs> <laughs> well he'd just be jim <laughs> wouldn't even be the kirk he'd just be jim but um so, uh, it, it, but it's this idea, because you didn't see the news media until Star Trek Generations. And then it was very much like the news media that we, we recognized. And this uh, interview where there's this gotcha moment in episode one of Picard, you know, where the interviewer is saying, well, Romulan lives. You know, and it's like, no, just like, I mean, it's like what Picard is saying. It's just lives. And I was troubled profoundly by the fact that you could even have somebody... You know, at this stage of this show, who is saying, well, Romulan lives were at stake. Wait a minute. That's not in line with what we have seen as uh, part of this this whole show. I disagree. I mean, well, I mean, okay. Now, look, you can talk about, if you want, the <laughs> fact that so many... And it didn't start out as admirals. I mean, it got... In Star Trek The Next Generation, it was all these renegade admirals. In Star Trek... Uh, the series, you had a couple of Starfleet captains that went, went renegade. Trek you know, six, when, so, when Pete Kirk basically is talking about the Klingons, and he basically says point blank, "Let them die." Oh, that's the Klingons. Yeah, but yeah, those that, are your more enemies. But the, but the, but the yeah. funny thing is about Star Trek: Undiscovered Country is they completely forgot about that going forward. I mean, the, no mention of Kronos being uninhabitable. You know, the, the Kitomera Accords basically helped. The, the Kitomera Accords did, but but yeah. the reason for them was forgotten. It was just completely dropped in the, in this show's canon. Well, you know, we can come back to that. But for right now, that musical cue means that it is time for us to take a short break because, of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via Community Radio, WERA, here in Arlington, 96.7 FM, streaming online at WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. Find out today. Make it your business to find out how you can get involved in community media and how community media can enrich your life. Trust me, it can. So, WERA.FM. In any case... We're going to step aside for a couple of moments while we acknowledge our underwriters. We're also going to take the time to promote a few of the shows coming up later this evening on 96.7 FM. But stay tuned because Mike and Roberto and Drew and I will all be back in just a couple of minutes. And welcome back to the Fantastic Forum here on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM and streaming online at WERA.FM. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell and I'm joined in studio by Roberto Ortiz and Drew Bittner 
and via the miracle of technology, courtesy of the Great Geek Refuge, Mike Lunsford. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome yeah. back. So, um, we were having a very spirited discussion offline <laughs> about <laughs> some of the stuff that uh, we have been discussing. Yeah, we've, we've really been going for it here, y'all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the passion of it. But um, when we took the break, um, somebody was getting ready to make a point. Was it Drew? Yes. Drew, you were getting ready to make a point. What was it? Um, well, basically, that uh, it just struck me that Picard sort of falls back on a plot point they used in Undiscovered Country, which was that, you know, there's been a, a disaster and the home world of an old, old enemy that they really have very little reason to trust is, in fact, going to be destroyed. Now, in Undiscovered Country, we have the energy moon Praxis that blew up. The shockwave causes an ecological catastrophe. The Klingon Chernobyl, basically. Yeah, <laughs> the Klingons can no longer afford a military arms race with the Federation, so there's a, an effort to make peace and let the Klingons do their thing, and that's undermined by conspiracy, so we see that. But we never got any resolution on that. I mean, we assume things must have worked out because the Klingons are still around. The Klingon Empire is still around. The Romulans, on the other hand, and apparently in Picard, we see that, yeah, Romulus had an ecological collapse. There's been a catastrophe that is is destroying or destroyed their world, and they needed a mass exodus along, you know, along the lines of you know, complete evacuation of the planet. And I'm like thinking, didn't they kind of run this play before? So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see, like, where do they go and how are these things different in terms of what they do? And Roberto had a good, good answer to that. Yes. Basically, the first one with the Klingons, you only saw that from the point of view, the, the reality of what happened with Praxis from the point of view of the leadership of the Klingons. Picard, what is doing, which I love, is that it's showing what would happen specifically if a culture, let's say the U.S. had to evacuate and they had to move to God knows South Africa or God knows where, what would be the effect it would have on the society of them? And I love the fact that they have done wonders with the Romulans, by the way, because it shows you different, the full spectrum, specifically from the, uh, the Romulan society, on how this affected them how losing them homeworld affected them, how some of them have become, uh, the Tal Chiar has become ultra -milita uh, militarized, how they, some people basically have turned into refugees, how some people Are basically they, have- Are they new Palestinians? Yeah. Hmm. And how- Space so, Palestinians. I love basically what they also, hmm. they also in introduced the, uh, the Benjamin of uh, Star Trek with basically having a, uh, Romulan monks, <laughs> uh, warrior uh, uh, nuns, which is awesome. <laughs> but I love the fact that it showed how something that drastic would affect the people. And I love also how it reflects in terms of the Federation because it shows, hey, Federation, there's this couple of billion people who need your help. Would you basically step up and show us your principles time for something or would you drop the ball? And this is the consequence. And yeah. I love they're they're doing that. <clears throat> and and I, think it's, I think it's fair to call it the Federation and the, and the and Starfleet and say that you know, these are at, at core human organizations and we're not perfect and we can fail to live up to our ideals. And how do we redeem that? How do we redeem our values? And does it fall to us as a society? Does it fall to us as individuals? Where, where do we take action to redeem what we stand for? But, but one thing to say specifically is that on the other hand, the Federation has a point 
the Romulans basically earn this is karma they earned for a long time. Yeah. You know, I thought that was a really good point too, Roberto, because at one point, um, Picard is speaking to an admiral um, and then trying to get his credentials back. Basically, he's like, hey, I want a ship. I want to go help this um, this girl. I got, I got this mission that I want. And she's like, you have got some nerve coming in here after what you did on TV, you know, basically calling us out. But then she says, ultimately, the Starfleet is run by the United Federation of Planets, and we have other people that we have to answer to. Yeah. And not everybody was really excited about helping the Romulans because the Romulans have, have not been kind to them for years. This is a democracy. And I thought that was a really interesting twist they took with the story. It wasn't just like, oh, well, it got infiltrated and it was all We're bad. We're evil. Which, <laughs> yeah. No. Which, theoretically, that could still be part of it. But at the same time, like, part of it was a lot of our people voted no. And I thought that was a really interesting, like, shades of gray kind of moment. This is not all black and white. Like, yeah. right and, 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 and they have That's a true. point. And they have a point. Because the, the Romulans basically... <clears throat> The Klingons, for all you say, when you were fighting with the Klingons, you saw the knife coming at you. Yeah. And to be fair, the Klingons were a piece of work, but at least you saw them coming. The Romulans were constantly playing mind games, one after the other, on yeah, multiple systems. Yeah, yeah. And people were like, you know what? Your system is going to blow up too bad. See ya. <laughs> and I don't blame them. <laughs> Shockingly, the Klingons turned out to be far more honorable enemies. And yes. I, I particularly, because I, I got to tell you, as somebody who was there, uh, you know, for early Star Trek conventions and, you know, watching the original series, and I, there was a joke that I heard, and I always thought it was really funny. How many Klingons does it take to change a light bulb? How Two. Many? One to do it, one to kill him and take the credit. You know? <laughs> but this is, this is what we thought of the Klingons. And nothing could be further from the truth. The Klingons actually, it's like, like you said, they're, they'll stand in your face and be like, yeah, you know, why today you is a their, good day to die. But why know? do you think they hate the Romulans so much? It's like, and why do you think the, the Romulans, Romulans call, are sneaky? Uh, why mm -hmm. do you think the Romulans call them monkeys? It's like, it's like, <laughs> well, I think that intelligence think, reports the uh, Romulans now using Klingon design. What <laughs> you know? I mean, they're doing sneaky stuff like uh, yeah. trying to brainwash people and all kinds of crazy stuff. I well, mean, it's just like wow. The, the Romulans. Uh, what what this makes me assume maybe is maybe Styles had a point. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> the Romulans <laughs> may be in the weakest position of the three militarily, and when you're in a weak position militarily you fall back on asymmetrical warfare. And they're constantly... A lot of the things the Romulans did put the Klingons and the Federation at odds with each other. Yeah. And so you constantly play this game of let's you and him fight. And it works. It can it can work really, really well for, to a, point. <laughs> for, for, for a weaker player. But then when that weaker player is get, get exposed, then, yeah, you don't have any friends. So... Hmm. So, I and I also like the fact specifically that... The conspiracy that has been shown on Picard uh, goes beyond, you know, the Romulans or the humans. It seems to be bigger than that. It's the core theme of the show is fear, fear of change, fear of refugees, mm. fear of the unknown, fear of artificial intelligence. And I'm kind of looking forward, Mike, to the next episode to where they explain more about what the thing they fear in terms of the artificial intelligence. Oh, but, yeah. Mm. But, oh, yeah. But like... Yeah, I'm uh, totally. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like Colossus. I, I, it's basically what you're saying. It's like, you know, that there in AI, two core beliefs in terms of how you're supposed to raise AI. There's the people who believe like me that mm -hmm. if you're gonna raise AI, you train it like a child. Like uh, personal interest did this very well. 
that there's two philosophies in terms of how you do AI. You raise right. it like a child, mm -hmm. or you just keep them knowledge. Sort of like Hank Pym and Ultron. Yeah. yeah. Scrock, I'm but alive, daddy, just the, like you. The problem <laughs> is basically is that if you give AI pure knowledge without experience, mm -hmm. you create a sociopath. Yeah, oh, and that's like Colossus or HAL yeah. 9000. But right? if you basically create AI like Data, where you have him have experiences and strive to basically learn more from humans specifically, the AI can be benign. And that's what John Roddenberry believes strongly. Mm -hmm. He actually has been doing this concept of data forever. Uh, he used to have a show well, in the I'm, 70s. I'm not about interested that. in oh, Quester tapes. Quester, I know yeah. yeah, and I'm not talking about benign. I'd rather see benevolent. But uh, my, the overriding question here is though, and I, and Drew, I think you addressed this in in what you had to say at the very beginning, but. Is this a sign of the times that we're yeah. seeing a show like this? Yeah. And and I think to a degree, uh, the jury is out because, uh, and Mike pointed this out, I can't remember whether it was earlier in this show or when we were talking on Thursday, but because we haven't seen how Picard wraps up, it's only 10 episodes, and so, you know, so-called prestige TV, but we need to see how this resolves itself or how it sets itself up for season two because obviously it's been well received enough that there will be a season They're two doing it now, so now. Yeah. yeah and whoopi goldberg is going to be in it we saw sir patrick on the, the the talk or the view or whatever that show is and he's like yes come on the show so but, uh, but the bottom line is i i'm 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 moved by the fact that this seems to be a reflection of what we're experiencing in the united states socially and culturally and I'm just very disappointed by that, you know? It's like, what, who do we have to have in the White House? What do we have to be living, you know, before we get... Because uh, you, you, you mentioned Reagan, you know, and, and uh, the original, well, Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. You know, which I wasn't exactly thinking the times were rosy around then, but it was towards the tail end of Reagan's second term. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, we were... I think we had... We had evolved beyond where we were at the beginning of that. I think, I think the, national, the national mood was very much pushing optimism as a political brand. So, so there's it, that. It, it still might. <laughs> Morning again in America. And it's yeah. the thing, yes. it still mm -hmm. might, because the thing is that the story that we're experiencing right now is still ongoing. We don't know what's going to happen. At well, the exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. And who knows? Maybe next year we'll be full of optimism for all we know. Uh, boy, I sure hope so. <laughs> hey, I come from a Hopefully. place that's having earthquakes daily. So yeah. trust me. I saw that. Yeah, well, you posting that. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming online via WERA.FM. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined courtesy of the Great Geek Refuge by Mike Lunsford, and here with me in studio, Roberto Ortiz and Drew Bittner. And uh, what are we talking about? I don't even really know what the subject is well, anymore. Basically, you were talking about Star Trek and if it's a reflection of the time and if it's uh, dystopian or not. Yeah. yeah. So. I was disagreeing. I don't think it's dystopian. Well, yeah, keep talking, because <laughs> I know you can, Roberto, please. I think, I think Mike has some things yeah. he wants to yeah, say, Yeah, Mike, too, so. please. <laughs> I mean, ultimately... With with all of this, I, I think the answer is is it dystopian? I think it's no. No. It's darker. Yeah. But mm -hmm. it's to tell it's to tell a story and it's to show the importance of what they were doing. And I think honestly, I think the biggest lesson that it's teaching all of us is like even when things seem the darkest, even when things are beating you down and you're like, is this really something that I can keep doing? Like I just I'm exhausted every day fighting this fight that you keep going. Because you have the, to. You don't have a right choice. To do. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's that's kind of what I'm getting from this. But also, too, man, I was like one of the things that I do. Like I'm like quick aside here. Like Star Trek: The Next Generation is a, is like a like a security blanket for me. Like I <laughs> when it's when it's time for me to go to bed and I just want to relax after a really long stressful day, I lay down and I watch Star Trek: The Next Generation. It's comforting. It's what I watched when I was like seven or eight years old when I was growing up. Sure. And like I've been rewatching the entire series, and the episodes I love the most are the ones involving data hmm. and the the ones where you find like these, these battles for his soul. And like the fact that this has happened in this universe and now Android life, which they established was life has just been like, Nope, we can't do it anymore. Sorry. We're not, we're not allowing this. It was really depressing for me because he was, I realized as a kid, as a kid, I always thought he was like weird and quirky and fun. But like, I realized as an adult, he was probably my favorite character because you got Mm -hmm. to see so much growth from him. Sure. Hmm. Like, God, I, I, the the things they're doing with it, again, I can't ruin it for you guys who haven't watched it, but they're doing some really, really cool things. And there was one in this most recent episode where there's something that happens and Riker sees it. And Riker yes, mentioned it. Yes, I love it, and that. And I saw it. Yes. Too. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, I noticed it too, and so did Riker. Holy crap. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I love the fact that basically hey, they hey, show hey, that. Hey, that... Hey, hey, fellas, hold, hold that thought just a second because um, we got a special guest who's going to oh. join us. It's uh, Ben Penrod. Uh, of uh, yeah, you know. In fact, I, Ben, I don't even know what to say that you're of now because uh, what's what, what 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 what's your entity now, man? So um, I'm still involved with uh, Awesome Con, and then I've got a few like I guess side projects or, or different things on my own um, with a, with a separate company that's uh, Nerd Street. Right. Um, so, cool. So I've got the you know the uh, Annapolis Comic Con, which is coming up. I've got the Southern Maryland Comic Con, which happens in the fall, and then I've got uh, two shows in uh, in Florida and a new show in Alaska. Yeah, the Alaska wow. show just happened, and I heard it was a big success. Yeah, it was so cool. It was like, uh, man, I, I, I've uh, never had such a good time running a Comic Con before. Hmm. Yeah. Well, of course, I asked you on because uh, next week, uh, which I the fourteenth. Uh, is Annapolis Comic Con, oh. and uh, I thought, hey, this is going to be great because, of course, this show re-airs on Thursdays, and you know, a lot of the stuff we talk about, particularly if it's something that's going on over a weekend, you know, by the time the show re-airs on Thursday, it's like redundant or gone by. But in this case, it's going to be really cool because people who listen yeah. on Thursday can still come out to the show. So, real quick, uh, tell us where it is and how you can, uh, where you have to go to get tickets. Yeah, so um, the Annapolis Comic Con, we've been doing this show since 2011, and it, uh, you know, it's changed a little bit over the years. We've moved to a few different venues, so this is a new place for us. Um, it's the Byzantium Center in uh, Annapolis, Maryland. It's uh, on Riva Road near the high school, if you're familiar with Annapolis. It's, um, it's, a, it's an event space that's attached to the uh, Greek Orthodox Church, so it's actually really cool space. They do some really cool festivals out there. It runs from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. and it's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's. I think tickets are like 12 bucks, and uh, you can get your tickets online at AnnapolisComicCon.com. There you go. And uh, unfortunately, because it's only 10 to 4, because I was thinking, oh man, maybe I could, because in previous years, uh, we've actually broadcast the show from uh, Annapolis and Southern Maryland Comic Con, and uh, that wasn't going to work because you guys are closing down at 4, (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) with this show starting at 4, that was like, oh wow, they're trying to put us out, you know, (laughs) so... (laughs) 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, a, a good time is certain to be had by all because I, one thing that I can absolutely vouch for with this cat is he knows how to put on a freaking convention. <laughs> that is no doubt. I mean, you are going to have some fun if Ben Penrod's name is associated with it, any kind of convention event. So, um, oh, thank the, you, man. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you for putting on such a great show consistently. I mean, I'm just sorry that I wasn't able to make it to uh, Alaska because when wow. I saw all the, the the feedback and everybody talking, and a bunch of people went, too, and it was like, it was, oh, man. It was amazing. We had people drive up from Anchorage and, and past Anchorage like six, seven, eight hours away. Mm. It was it was amazing. And through snowstorms and stuff, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> Well, the one thing uh, that is certain is uh, it's going to continue. I mean, because that was just the first one, and you know, it was it was so successful. You know, this is just yet another feather in in the cap of Ben Penrod in terms of you know, oh yeah, con- the conventioneer. <laughs> We're going to start calling you, dude. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. So, um, anyway, but Annapolis, uh, of course, uh, coming up next week. And then early May is Awesome Con again. And uh, then in the fall, Southern Maryland, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All yeah, right. May 1st through the 3rd is, uh, is Awesome Con. And, like, I don't know if you've seen the celebrity guest lineup, but, like, it's ridiculous. This year. It's insane. I mean, it's always kind of ridiculous, but it's, it's ridiculous. Particularly I'm, ridiculous. Well, hey, ben, all, all I'm, things, I'm oh, calling man. that bankruptcy weekend. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, all things in good time. We're going to have you back on <laughs> to talk about Awesome Con. So, uh, real quick before we let you go, um, uh, just uh, where and when and how can you get tickets for next week for Annapolis Comic Con? Yeah, so it's uh, Saturday, March 14th. It's at the Byzantium Center in, uh, in Annapolis, Maryland on Reaver Road. You can get tickets at AnnapolisComicCon.com. Or you could just buy them at the door. It's the same price. There you go. All right. Hey, I really appreciate you uh, coming on uh, here in the middle of the show to talk this thing up. Uh, you know, you are a wonderful human being, and what you are doing is a fabulous service for your community. And I appreciate it, as do many oh, other man. geeks and nerds. Thank you so much. I appreciate you too, man. I really, I really do. All right. Talk to you soon, Ben. All right. Thanks a lot. Hey. All right. Ben Penrod of uh, Nerd Street, man, you know? So, hey, but just sneaking him in. So, um, in in the uh, couple of minutes that we have left, uh, I, I want to revisit that, because you were making a point, Roberto. Yes. Yes. Do you remember what it was? <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying, Roberto? Uh, okay. <laughs> Do it. No. One, two, three. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I think, basically, that Picard, uh, that Picard reflects what we're experiencing now. We are mm-hmm. in a stage of uncertainty. But the thing is that Star Trek always has been a reflection of the times. You correctly pointed out that in the six, uh, how in the 60s also was a time, a time of uncertainty. And Star Trek gave a people a way out. In my humble opinion, Picard is also showing that. It's showing that, yes, you have a time of uncertainty in the Federation, but it's some good people who might not even be part of, form of uh, Starfleet try to make a change that might actually do it. And... For example, I love what they did with Seven of Nine in the show. Uh, she shows up. It's on all, all the promos, so it's not a spoiler. But that's the core thing they did with the character, that she basically kept fighting and fighting and fighting. It has mm-hmm. a cost on her, but she never gave up. I, I will say very quickly that um, 
One thing I hope w is reflected in this show is that it's very easy to be a hero yeah. when there's no challenge, when there's yes. no threat, when there's no When you have problem. the federation behind you. Yeah. Uh, when, when everything's going your way. It's hard to be a hero when things are, are difficult. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's hard to be a hero when you've only got ten episodes in which to do it. I, I got to, frankly, I got to see more of this stuff. Um, I, I got to go to Seth. Mike, home. I'm going to have to come to your house. To, I'm going to have to go over to Roberto's or something. Because, you know, it's funny. I have a friend, um, very dear friend, Phil Metcalf. And so when I posted that I had seen the first episode of Picard, and I was actually thinking about getting CBS All Access, well, Phil messages me and he says, oh, you finally broke down and got CBS All Access. And I was like, well, actually, I saw to friends but then I dug my heels in I'm like no I'm not getting it <laughs> I'm not getting it so um, I absolutely please tell Jody that I'm coming <laughs> <laughs> anyway look um, you know fellas thanks for coming on the show it's uh, always great to talk about this cool crazy nerdy stuff that we talk about and uh, of course Fantastic Forum is also a television show if you happen to be in the Arlington Virginia area you can watch us on Arlington Independent Media. Oh, and I was reminded that if you're in Montgomery County, you can see it on Montgomery Community Media. And uh, that's, that's a whole other thing. What you need to do is you need to visit the website at fantasticforum.tv. That'll tell you all about where you can see the show, uh, what time you can see the show. In fact, you can actually see the show on the website because we've got episodes that are right there archived just for you along with all the different segments, all the event coverage, all the interviews, all the toy and game profiles. Everything wow. you need is right there at fantasticforum.tv. We'll even tell you how to get a date. I, am I right? It, really? I, that's my story. I'm, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. If you need a date, fantasticforum.tv. And be sure <laughs> to come back next week. Oh, but before that, Tune in on Thursdays because the show re-airs every Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. And if all else fails, come back next week, 4 p.m. Same bat time, same bat station. Stay tuned for Ethiodiaspora coming up right after this show. <laughs>